What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Daily Hammer, your daily news source when it comes to the Atlanta Braves as part of the Talking Chop Podcast Network. My name is Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSAC on Twitter. You can find the Daily Hammer and all the great podcast content from the Talking Chop Podcast Network, including series previews and game recaps at TalkingChop.com and at TalkingChop across all forms of social media. Of course, the day has finally arrived. And I know I've said that before, but this is truly a special day in the history of the Braves franchise. The 2021 Game 1 of the 2021 World Series has arrived, and it includes the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves and Houston Astros live tonight from Minute Maid Park. Charlie Morton versus Framber Valdez in Game 1 of the World Series. But of course, we also want to take a moment and say thank you to each and every one of our listeners as the Talking Chop Podcast Network is currently the number one source of baseball podcasts in the United States. And all of the thank you go to goes to our listeners. If you've been a loyal listener for a while, cannot thank you enough for your support. If you're a new listener, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We strive with each and every episode to deliver great content that you enjoy. Hitting that subscribe button will make sure to let you know when more great content is on the way. Thank you again very much for all your support and certainly hope it can lead to all of us enjoying a World Series title here in the coming days. When it comes to the Braves, here's the latest from Atlanta. The Braves will start with the Houston Astros tonight, Game 1 at Minute Maid Park in Houston. And of course, there's a variety of different perspectives that go into this World Series matchup. But for me, it really comes down to how can the Braves get the upper hand when it comes to the starting pitching matchup of Charlie Morton versus Framber Valdez? And to effectively break down the keys to not only that pitching matchup, but the keys to a Game 1 victory for the Braves, I am glad to welcome, in my opinion, one of the best baseball minds I've ever interacted with when it comes to the Braves as well as baseball in general. He's been a great contributor to Talking Chop for years. You know him as Ivan the Great from Talking Chop. Ivan has been kind enough to join us to talk about Game 1 and what certainly has worked for the Braves getting here so far. Ivan, how are you this evening? Sir? I'm doing all right. It's kind of it's kind of weird. I did like, I think I appeared on like two of the first three Talking Chop podcasts like years ago. And then, you know, I, I saved people from having to listen to me. Uh, but, you know, I'm back, so deal with it. 
think that people are going to quickly realize why we have you on the show. Of course, as I mentioned, you can find the Daily Hammer as well as all the World Series previews, which is out now with Brad Rowland, Scott Coleman, and Eric Cole. That is at TalkingChop.com and in all forms of Talking Chop across social media. Game recaps for each and every World Series game, hopefully with more Atlanta wins than losses, will be found on the Talking Chop podcast network as well. But Ivan, let's jump right into it. So the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series, and it is absolutely amazing for someone such as yourself, who is so knowledgeable when it comes to to the numerical side of baseball, odds, projections, and things like that. Just how unlikely has this outcome been to occur? And in your opinion, what's the biggest reason why the Braves have a chance, unexpectedly, to be World Series champions this year? Yeah, I mean... Unlikely. It's been it's pretty damn unlikely. Uh, you know, I mean, the playoff odds were tanked at, at one point in the middle of the season. We kind of watched them erode and erode and erode, and then they just shot up like crazy. I mean, you know, a 10% chance is a 10% chance. And, you know, it doesn't mean it just happens 0% of the time. It means it happens about 10% of the time. So pretty cool that the die roll came up that way. Um, but you know, since it kind of took off and since they've made the playoffs, they haven't really been that scant. I mean, baseball's kind of weird in that an underdog is an underdog, but, you know, like 60-40, that's not too bad. I mean, you take 40% chance of a good thing happening most of the time. So in that regard, you know, they they it's been, it was unlikely at some point. This I don't think is that weird. This I think is just kind of in the pleasant, not too surprising category. Uh, And, you know, as far as uh, aside from that probability of why they've gotten here, I mean, it's whatever is possessed Eddie Rosario, his like his CWPA for the NLCS was just insane. It was like he added like 18, an 18 percent chance for the team to take home a title. And he didn't even play in like in, you know, a double elimination game seven in that case. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, what he did there doesn't really mean anything for the, for any other game, any World Series game. But, I mean, that guy is just insane. Like, whatever's been going on, it just kind of blows your mind that he's been there when there's been a chance for him to add some of that win probability, and then he's added it. So, you know, whatever ghost is possessing him, maybe it's also the ghost that had that ball kick off Corey Seager's glove. You know, I don't know, but like he's he's got some supernatural juju going. So basically, it may be angels in the outfield too. I don't know if this one's starring Christopher Lloyd or not, but hey, yeah. if it worked once, it could work yeah. again. Yeah. The other the other thing that I'll say is this: is that you mentioned Eddie Rosario, and you know we've seen Freddie besides his first two games of the NLCS. He's done pretty well. Austin Riley certainly has again sustained his excellent performance from the regular season into the postseason. But what helped the Braves emerge against the Brewers was Jock Peterson standing out among both offensive um, offensive lineups. Eddie Rosario, Rosario last series. I think we're going to have to see this happen again for the Braves to be able to emerge victorious in this World Series. And perhaps with the return of Jorge Soler and him being able to be in the lineup in an American American League ballpark, he could be possibly the prime candidate to be the guy that really stands out. But it does seem like the Braves are going to need another player who you may not expect to really step up and be one of, if not the best offensive contributors in this World Series. 
Yeah, if you want to handicap it a bit, grab grab everybody's fly ball spray charts and see who hits the cheap homers into the into the Crawford boxes. That's a great way of putting it, and that probably is simply it. So if the Braves can just get lucky on a few fly balls, we we really could see what's going on. But obviously, our attention turns to game one. And I'll tell you this, um, Ivan, when it comes to Charlie Morton, I don't think it could have worked out better for the Braves. He doesn't have to pitch game seven, and now you see him pitching game one. But the great thing is, though the Braves have not seen the Houston Astros in over four years, that's not the case for Charlie Morton, who spent a significant part of his career with the Astros and has faced him before. 38 career starts at Minute Maid Park, 20 and 10, with a 3.95 ERA, 241 strikeouts, and 214 innings at Minute Maid Park. And perhaps even more importantly, though it happened away from Minute Maid Park, in the 2020 playoffs, he went 10 and two-thirds innings against the Astros, 11 Ks, 7 hits, zero earned runs. You have a player who's familiar with his settings. What are you going to be excited to see? What leads to success for Charlie Morton? I mean, the thing with Morton and the thing that's like, it's just kind of wild when you watch it because it's it's like you can you can understand what he's doing to carve up hitters on an intellectual level, but then you sort of like watch it and you're like, oh damn, like that's what he's doing. Because the tunnel... And not just the tunnel, but like he's got a fastball that, you know, it doesn't really have particularly great rise, but it's going one direction as it leaves his hand. And then he's got a curveball, which has basically got the same spin, but reversed. And it's going not just the other direction, but it moves in a way that hitters not only don't expect, but I mean, you can, you can just pull the highlight reels of his strikeouts. Like, you know, they could see it once or they could see it a whole, like in a whole plate appearance, and then they'll see it again. And they still can't quite twig to that motion that it's just kind of, it's way more horizontal than they were expecting. And it's not really got that drop where they can sort of rule it out. So basically, I mean, You've seen, I'm sure there's the pitching ninja gifts and everything else. You know, he's throwing something out of the hand and the horizontal separation between the two pitches he throws, because he's really primarily just thrown those two pitches. Like, I don't, I really don't know how anyone hits it unless they're just, they just guess 50-50 correctly. And it happens to be a curveball that isn't actually like, you know, biting it on their foot or in the dirt away from them. So it's like the it's the same key for him that he's basically been doing the, the whole time, which is just, you know, have enough command that he can establish the stuff for strikes and then just force the hitters to guess. And then you get all the goofy swings. Well, and the thing that I'll say is this, you you, you mentioned that the curveball is, you know, it, it certainly can be effective. And I, I believe he's pitched now, I, I want to say, um, 15, 16 total innings in this postseason. 85% of those innings have been great. It's been two curveballs where Rowdy Telez in game one of the NLDS and then Corey Seager in game three of the NLCS, they guessed right, and it led to a two-run homer for each. Yeah. And that's the thing with this Houston Astros lineup is that as deep in quality as it is, it, the likelihood of someone guessing right is going to be there. So is there anything that you would change about Charlie Morton's approach from what you've seen so far in the postseason? Or is it just you live with the good and certainly hope that, you know, people guess right far more, far less than they actually do. They guess right far less than they actually do guess wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell him how to do his job. Like he, if you listen to him talk, like he, he has a really great idea about how he's going to, 
about getting guys out. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing, like Telez and Seeger, yeah, they get, they guessed right to some extent, but also it was the sort of thing where they guessed right. And he happened to not actually locate it that well. So he kind of, so he kind of got the double whammy there. Like, yeah, they guessed right. Cause if they were guessing something else, they probably foul it off. But also, you know, if he had actually like executed it and gotten the pitch to go where he wanted it to, it's probably not really a particularly big deal. You know, I looked at I looked at his uh, pitch breakdowns in the postseason. I mean, he's still pretty much just like aside from mixing in a few things here and there, he's still pretty much just going 50-50 fastball or curveball. And I don't, you know, until we start to see something where the curveball dips in effectiveness, I don't really know that he needs to do anything differently because. It's just like, you know, I mean, he's getting up there in age and it doesn't really matter because so long as he's spinning that curveball and it's sweeping across the zone as it is, I like, I don't know what hitters are really going to do about it. I mean, you can, yeah, we can say, okay, yeah, Charlie, it's important that you don't hang one or, you know, you don't finish one where it can get a barrel, but like, yeah, that's true for everyone, you know, and it's not like he's intending to do that. So he, that's why you see him sometimes just kind of lose it and, you know, throw a bunch out of the zone. I mean, he's not, I don't think he's really aiming to throw it in the zone all that much. He's aiming to make dudes look bad. So to that end, you know, I mean, I think he just keeps doing what he's doing and, you know, Astros hit everything well, but Astros and Braves in general hit like the same type of, the same types of pitches with the same types of handedness, like have pretty much the same like high high caliber top five in MLB this season. So it's not like, you know, he doesn't need to change anything. They're going to hit the fastball well. They're going to hit the curveball well. But, you know, he's just, he's going to, he's got to go out there with his plan and not make weird stuff up because the Astros hit well. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, on the other side of things, when it comes to Charlie Morton's counterpart in Framber Valdez of the Astros, um, coming off an eight-inning, one-run effort against the Red Sox, I believe in Game 5 of the ALCS. And you know, for a few years now, Ivan, Braves fans have been able to enjoy their own left-hander in Max Freed do very well when it comes to a southpaw producing ground balls. But if mm. Max Freed is the equivalent of Bruce Banner when it comes to producing ground balls, Framber Valdez is the Hulk, basically. Mm. Of all pitchers who have pitched 100 innings this year, Framber Valdez had a 70% ground ball rate. The mm. next closest was Logan Webb at 60%. We talk about the Braves putting those balls in the Crawford boxes, they may not get much of a chance with Valdez on the mound. 
Yeah, they're going to have to, though. Like, I mean, because, you know, it, it's funny that you said Logan Webb because I, for some reason, I haven't seen Valdez pitch much. Like, I don't know, I, I always basically have a game on, but somehow I swear I've missed, like, every Valdez outing, like, since he's been a major leaguer. But just kind of going over everything he's done, I mean, he reminds me of Logan Webb in the Webb obviously came out of nowhere, but the Braves saw him a couple of times, but it's like, you know, the announce, the announcers, some announcers, some broadcasters would be like, Oh yeah, that guy gets you a comfortable O for four. Cause if you look at what Valdez does, I mean, like he's pretty much just sinker curveball, and like, you know, God, you know, God bless him for still throwing sinkers in this day and age, but it works. It like, it's not that his sinker is a particularly like bat neutralizing pitch. That's really what his curveball is for. But like everything he throws gets beat into the ground or at least like doesn't really get skied. And, you know, so to that end, I mean, they're going to have to tee off on that sinker because he's going to throw it a bunch. And, you know, if they don't, if the, if it ends up just being one of those things where, yeah, they put some good swings on it, but you know, they were right at fielders or it was the sort of thing where they just couldn't figure out how to elevate it. And he kept pounding the zone. I mean, he's going to stick around for a while probably. So, you know, they'll have to figure something out, especially with the righty bats that have the platoon advantage to not actually get in that sort of, you know, like early in the count, didn't elevate it, you know, didn't really kind of game out that, yeah, you need to guess on that sinker and you need to actually hit it in the air, you know, and of course that's all easier said than done. You can guess on it. You can try to hit it in the air and you can still hit over the top of it and hit it to the shortstop or something, but that that's sort of the path for him. And, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of keep going on this topic. Like Valdez is an interesting guy um, in that he, like a lot of his pitching kind of plate appearance by plate appearance success has to do with the fact that he gets a, t- he gets a lot of called strikes. Morton actually does too. If you sort by like all starters with, you know, 60 or more innings this year, they're pretty much like neck and neck around like top 20 and called strike rate. Morton has the advantage because he also gets whiffs and Valdez doesn't so much, which makes sense because he's throwing a sinker. But you know, the thing is that like, the Braves love swinging at strikes. If there's one thing that you could say about the Braves while they've been in contention as like a team hitting philosophy, they are like, oh man, it's a strike. I'm going to swing. I don't even care if I miss. I'm going to swing and I'm going to try to murder that. So I don't really know how that's going to go in this game because I feel like you can pretty much build whatever narrative you want for anything after the fact. But I think like the two pathways that make sense are like one, you know, he, thro- he throws a bunch of strikes with the sinker and the Braves are ready for it. And they're, you know, they bang the crap out of it and it goes terribly for him, which is something that happened in some of his other playoff starts. The other alternative is they have the exact same plan, but instead of, you know, absolutely smacking the ball, they roll over it far more than they do something else. And, you know, you get those comfortable over fours and it's just kind of disappointing all around. So, you know, like, of course, now that I've said this, we're probably going to get like option number three where something else completely crazy happens and we don't really talk about this. But I think those that's kind of like those those are the two ends of the spectrum for facing Valdez, I think, because I don't think he's really going to change stuff up much. I think he's you're going to see a bunch you're going to see a lot of sinkers and, you know, some fewer curveballs. I think if he's gone away from that and started mixing in more curveballs, then he's gotten less two dimensional and maybe easier to hit um so 
you know, basically it's just up to the Braves to get, get that sinker. He doesn't really tend to throw it that low, so they should be able to elevate it and, you know, do do some actual damage. And with in his case, with the ball being on the ground quite a bit and throwing the sinker, you have to hope for the Braves' case, the BAB IP gods are certainly yeah. smiling down on them, yeah. at least in this game. Yeah. Shifting the focus a bit, Ivan, to the other part of the pitching staffs, yeah. the bullpen. You know, I, I think that, you know, a few places have mentioned that it seems like that on paper the Astros have a bit more quality depth in their bullpen than the Braves do, but the Braves' bullpen has faced two very good bullpens, two of the best bullpens in the Brewers and the Dodgers, and they've been at their level or outperform them in the past two series. Is there something different that's effective for this Houston Astros bullpen? Can the Braves find success against this Astros bullpen like they did at times against the Brewers and the Dodgers if it becomes a bullpen game over the first few games of this series? I mean, I I think so. And, you know, and I think that like what we've seen this postseason, especially is that actually the, the Braves are now are now zagging while everybody else has zigged with pulling their starter super early. So I think that, you know, the Houston bullpen, it's got a bunch of guys with a bunch of like, you know, reasonable pitching lines and like, you know, reasonable paths to success. They play matchups and so on and so forth. But, you know, aside from, uh, you know, aside from Presley and Rayleigh, the, the stuff doesn't really jump off the page as like, oh man, these guys are incredibly dominant. Um, so, you know, and like, you know, Christian Javier, I think had like negative F4, like with a fraction this year, but, you know, he, he's got the stuff. And I think that was probably just from an inflated Homer rate and he might eat up a bunch of innings for them, especially if guys leave early, but for the most part, I mean, you know, it's like middle relievers are middle relievers, man. So sometimes even not middle relievers, like, you know, who knows what's going to happen, especially if this if this series looks like all the other series except the ones the Braves have played in where starters are just leaving early left and right so I don't I mean it's hard to kind of game plan like oh you know this guy's got this particular weakness because you have no idea what the usage pattern is going to be but I mean it's just pretty much just playing with fire with all these pit with most of these pitchers anyway maybe not Presley so much but you know something's going to happen and the Braves are going to have the opportunity to do something against these guys who, you know, are just, they're an okay unit. Braves have an okay unit. We've seen them do, you know, like death star, like destruction of opposing teams. And we've seen them not do that and get hit around a bit. So I think that's probably just going to be what happens throughout the series. As far as the bullpens go. I know it's not, I know it's not exactly the big, uh, Big, bright takeaway. Oh, yeah, bullpens. Who knows what they're going to do, but that's pretty much what bullpens are. <laughs> that 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 would be correct. And then, Ivan, one last question that I will ask you is this, is that for the Braves in general, is there any one key aspect of their approach going into this series? Maybe it's because of the Astros specifically or whatever may have you. Is there any one key aspect, either hitting or pitching, that you really think is going to be a a big shift factor? It's going to be a big swing stat when it comes to whether if the Braves do good, they're going to be in a really good position. If they do bad, odds are going to be really against them. Any one aspect that you're really looking for in the first few games? Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, like this is sort of this is sort of like kind of obvious, but I think the one of the big things for the Braves is they really just need to not like mess up 
when they're basically given outs or decent probability outs in the field. Because the thing with the Astros is both the Braves and Astros have like real strong offenses. But one of the things about the Astros is in something that you don't quite see as much, they they walk a lot, the Braves walk a lot, but the Astros don't strike out that much. With And like, you know, they're not, they don't have as much thump as some of the other teams, but they constantly put the ball in play which is not good in and of itself. But the thing is that that little increment basically helps them a bit because it's like, you know, they've got the benefits from the walks, they've got the benefits from the power, and then they've got that little like 5% strikeout rate that they're missing relative to some of the other teams. You multiply that by their Babbitt and like, there you go. You know, they that, that's a little edge. And really what that means is that when, when, any team plays them, not just the Braves, but, you know, if they're, they're putting a ball in play and you're not, you're not converting that into an out, that's just another chance for them to have another walk, another thing that you have to convert into an out or a homer. And again, that's true. That's true for everyone. But the thing is that like the Astros get on base enough that if you're going to get overwhelmed if you don't actually start recording outs when they're giving them to you, because they're probably not just going to go up there and like basically throw plate appearances in the way that you might see lower parts of the order for some other teams or just, you know, some guys that are like very clearly fishing and can be, you know, set down fairly easily. I mean, of course I'll say this and Matzik is going to come and make them all look like idiots, but you know, and like strike them out and not give them a chance to, put the ball in play but honestly like the main thing that just jumps out at me scrolling through it is that we know what the Braves do like they they take pitches they don't think they can hit out of the park and they pretty much try to take pitches they think are in the zone and try to hit them out of the park Astros not quite so extreme so when they're not trying to do that and they do something that you can convert into an out you really need to convert it into an out Creating and converting is a favorite phrase that I've taken on a bit over the past uh, few weeks as we've gotten into the playoffs. The Braves have done a good job of it, but I agree with you. They're certainly going to have to make the most of it this time around. Ivan, if you'll stick with us just a second once we're done recording, but I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us. This absolutely is is a great – this shows why it's always fun to talk with you when it comes to the game of baseball. Certainly hope you enjoyed the series, and thanks again for joining us. I feel bad I talked most of the time. Hey, Is that normal? That, that's 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 the point of having you on. When you've got the insight right. to the level that you do, it certainly is worth it. His name is Ivan from Talking Chop. Ivan the Great on Talking Chop. Obviously, he is one of the favorites when it comes to commenting, when it comes to articles. Everyone loves his work. Make sure to check it out as the series goes along. My name's Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSAC. My work, Ivan's work over at Talking Chop and at Talking Chop across all forms of social media. The Daily Hammer, the Talking Chop podcast, game recaps and continued previews for the World Series after each and every game. Make sure you check out the Talking Chop Podcast Network. Also want to thank all our listeners for making Talking Chop the number one baseball podcast in America. Cannot thank y'all enough for your support. Glad you enjoy the content. Obviously, when it comes to the level that it does with Ivan, we want to make sure we do it each and every time. For Ivan the Great from Talking Chop, my name is Sean Cohen. This is the Daily Hammer. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Talking Chop Podcast Network.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.